Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Today we're talking Afghanistan. It has been a bit of a case, hasn't it, for many, many decades now. Australia's been in and out of involvement, but not the last few years. We've contributed to the war there and America is still in there, although they've pledged to get out, but it's just... it. it it just can't get its act together. Yes, and I think you've got to bear in mind that the Americans can't get out because that would mean that they are actually losing the war. And no American president ever wants to admit to losing a war. So what you do is you just simply move the war across to your successor. So Obama inherited Afghanistan from George Bush. Obama kept troops there, tried to step up the campaign, but then couldn't win, but didn't want to admit that he'd lost. So he kept soldiers there. President Trump has now inherited that war and he can't admit to the fact that the Americans are losing the war either. So tragically, I think, for the poor old American troops that are in the country, they're just staying there to say that the Americans are still fighting. But everybody privately says America is not going to win this. And in fact, 50 to 60% of the country is now back under Taliban control. This is quite poignant, especially the last few days, because we've seen a lot of explosions there again. Yeah. Happening. That's right. And in fact, what, we're back to a, a civil war in Afghanistan, leaving the Americans to one side, who are largely irrelevant. They're supposed to have been training the Afghani army, uh, haven't really made much progress there. But what you've got within Afghanistan itself are three different forces operating. So one is the Taliban, which means scholar. So when the Russians were driven out, which was um, at the end of the 80s, the Russians were driven out. The Americans who had armed bin Laden and others lost interest in Afghanistan, so they pulled out as well. So the country fell into chaos through the 1990s. And so um, into that chaos or emerging from that chaos were a group of Pashtuns or Pathans, the scholars. And so the scholars were the people who decided we would run the country on Shia lines. So very strict. They they drove out um, corruption. Uh, They amputated the hands of people who were involved in uh, thievery, etc. Smashed television sets, banned pop music and all that sort of thing. But they also said we will crack down on the growing of opium, poppies. And so the American government financed the Taliban and continued to finance them all the way through until 2001. So that's the Taliban. They're an ethnic group who are only concerned about liberating, as they would see it, their bit of Afghanistan, which is, and they straddle the border, Pakistan and Afghanistan. Remember, 80% of the world's borders were drawn up by Europeans who had very little local knowledge. So the Europeans just drove a line, say, right, north of the line is Afghanistan, elsewhere is Pakistan. So this is a, a tribe that straddles both sides, both countries. So one is, therefore, the Taliban. So um, strict people concerned about um, uh, following the Quran. A second group are the Al-Qaeda group, right? Previously financed by the Americans. Al-Qaeda means the base. So throughout um, 
the period 1979 following the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan all the way through until leaving 10 years later. Um, you had um, a number of uh, mujahideen, as they're called, freedom fighters, some of whom were financed by the Americans, including Al-Qaeda, the base. So uh, bin Laden received American money to fight the Russians. And so that's the second group. Now, bin Laden, of course, himself has died, but his son Hamza bin Laden is now one of the leaders of Al-Qaeda. And they still have a presence in Afghanistan. They've also spread out into other countries. So they also are involved in the fighting and they are working with the Taliban. They've got different war aims because the Taliban are just concerned about Afghanistan. Al-Qaeda has more of a global agenda. And to confuse things still further, we have, of course, Islamic State. And they're the ones who are responsible for a lot of the violence we've seen in the last few days. So the Islamic State were originally part of Al-Qaeda. And uh, I'm going to have to change the narrative a bit here. So the Americans intervened, along with Australians and others, in 2001, following the 9-11 attack which is blamed on Osama bin Laden. So the Americans went into Afghanistan to get him because the Taliban wouldn't hand over bin Laden. So the Americans invaded Afghanistan. Do you think that Taliban just knew, sorry to interrupt there, but do you think they knew where he was, the Taliban? They knew where bin Laden was, definitely. Oh, yeah. The Taliban certainly knew because they were, they were assisting him. Um, and so the Americans invaded Afghanistan to get bin Laden, in my view, drawn into a trap. Anybody smart enough to plan 9-11 will be smart enough to know they wouldn't get away with it for very long, particularly as he had declared war on America back in 88 <laughs> at the time of Clinton. Uh, 98 at the time of Clinton. So the Americans had a good idea who he was. So they go in in 2001. They get rid of bin Laden. He goes over the border into Pakistan and, as we know, spends his life living down the road from the Pakistani Military Academy. The leader of the Taliban... Uh, of whom we only had one, we think, one photo. It was a person who had lost an eye in the war against the Russians. He was last seen on a motorbike uh, fleeing to either Pakistan or eastern Iran. Um, and so at one point we were looking for a one-eyed motorcyclist. We never did find him. And, of course, he died a few years ago. But he was the leader of the Taliban. So the people that we were up against fled the country, but the Americans stayed with a very unclear agenda. So they were still bogged down there in 2002 when the new president, George Bush, decided that he really was never that interested in getting bin Laden. His real concern was always to take on Iraq. So he then said, well, we've got to attack Iraq because of 9-11. Saddam Hussein had no link at all with 9-11. He had no link with al-Qaeda. This guy was a socialist uh, whereas Al-Qaeda, of course, has got clear Isla Islamist links. Anyway, so Bush uh, says we have to get ready to invade Iraq, which they did in 2003. So The, the good old weapons of mass destruction Weapons argument. of mass destruction, all that lying that went on, all that stupidity. So the United States and others, it, well, uh, there are only two others because it's actually contrary to international law. Britain and Australia were the only two who followed Bush into Iraq. But as he got bogged down in Iraq, Al-Qaeda then was able to move into Iraq because of the chaos in the country. 
So al-Qaeda then, for the first time, is able to get into Iraq big time, part of its global agenda. And then there was a split within al-Qaeda because bin Laden was was not a bloodthirsty individual like um, this other fellow, um, al-Baghdadi, uh, of, of whom we have only even less photographs. You know, the, of those three leaders, it's bin Laden who's the charismatic one. One has got a one eye, last seen on a motorbike fleeing the country, and now we have a, a Baghdadi. Uh, we're not even sure where he is or whether he's dead or alive. Talk about low profile. So he then says, our oh, problem with Al-Qaeda is just you're too weak. You're not willing to kill enough people. And he earlier on in, uh, had written a book called The Theatre of Terror, Terrorism. It's in Arabic. So it looks like it's The Theatre of Terrorism as a title. Very interesting reading. He says, what you've got to do is to kill people in really brutal ways Put and make use of internet, and that'll get the media to take care of you. Kill foreigners. So then we end up then with Islamic State and their use of blunt knives to cut through people's throats. So they used to deliberately blunten their knives so it would take several minutes to cut through a throat. And they filmed it. It then goes onto the internet. By the way, did you ever watch any of those videos? There was quite a high, quite yeah. a couple of very high-profile cases yeah. uh, that happened over in Syria yeah. that were just gruesome to the entire Absolute world. Appalling. Absolutely Did you appalling. ever watch no, one of the videos? No, no, no. Me I neither. deal with too much violence. So then, in a sense, Bin Laden Senior sort of disowns Islamic State. So you then get this war in Syria and Iraq between al-Qaeda and um, the Islamic State. Now, coming back to Afghanistan, so we've pulled a lot of the forces out, but not all of them, because remember, um, George Bush and then Barack Obama could not admit to losing in Afghanistan. So you keep some troops deployed there, even though they're clearly not going to be successful, but at least it prevents people from saying, you lost Afghanistan. So... Bush and then Obama kept troops in Afghanistan, failed to win the war there, and instead what we now see in Afghanistan is the civil war that's taking place. You've still got the Taliban, and they're doing very well. They're working with al-Qaeda. Um, now, this, this is a point of view which is contrary to the American point of view because you've got to be very careful about American propaganda because they take the view from the military, oh, we're winning the war, you know, etc. But it's interesting, there's been a recent UN report that's come out showing that, in fact, al-Qaeda and uh, the Taliban are working closely. But then the, you've got this third factor, which is the Islamic State. Loose cannons. A loose cannon, violently loose cannon. They're the ones who blew up the school students this morning, um, you know, the ones who are studying to get into university, because they do it in a crowded setting in a town. The argument is that al-Qaeda controls the countryside along with the Taliban, but the Afghani government controls the cities and the big towns. Islamic State specialise in suicide bombings in those towns to show that no matter where you are, we, the Islamic State, can get you and you will kill, be killed in a very gruesome way. So I don't... When did... Because my understanding was, of course, that Islamic State started in Iraq, moved into Syria and had a very big stronghold in Syria... When do they move into Afghanistan and what is their interest there? Well, they, they want to create a global caliphate. Remember, for the first time since the time of Muhammad, peace be upon his name, we are now dealing with an Islamic state. 
You've got to go all the way back to the 13th century before you talk about an Islamic state. This is why Baghdadi had this doctrinal dispute with al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda and the, and the Taliban were saying, we just simply want to create an emirate once again of Afghanistan. Islamic State said, no, you guys are thinking far too small. You've got to be thinking big. And we want to have a world controlled by, well, by ourselves. We want to create a global caliphate. And so the Islamic State, therefore, declaring themselves Islamic State, the first time that that phrase, well, obviously we're using the English version, but it's the first time that phrase has been used for centuries to say that this is going to be territory run on strict Islamist lines. And so what is the state of affairs today then with Islamic State? And what do they just, as you said, they're operating within these cities, but are there strongholds um, in, in specific areas in Afghanistan or is it just sort of scattered? Rem- they're just carrying out whatever operation they can, whatever they can. They're There's very no opportunistic, real- yeah. Right. They can't at the moment get very, well, I was going to say they can't get into Kabul, but we do have attacks inside Kabul. And remember, that is supposed to be the stronghold of the Afghani government. So why is the Afghani government not effective enough? Uh, well, there are a number of reasons. One is that Pakistan continues to support the Taliban and probably al-Qaeda. So they're still getting support and they can flee across the borders. The border was, I say, the border was invented by the British. Um, and so, you know, you can move from Afghanistan into Pakistan and not even notice that you've gone from one country to another. So you, you've got that sort of problem. The other problem is the Americans are not sure what they're trying to do in Afghanistan. Um, if you go back to 2001, remember, bin Laden had fled the country and the uh, Mullah Omar, the, lead, the one-eyed leader of, as far as we can tell, of, of the Taliban, he'd fled the country. The Americans stayed. And so the Americans were never clear what their agenda was. So they obviously wanted to try to uh, quell the Taliban. So the Taliban, remember, are an ethnic group. They live there. So it's very difficult to try to say, well, you, you, you can't expect to win there. So there's a southern part of Afghanistan, generally speaking, would be their territory. And so they were bogged down, as Australians were as well, bogged down in the southern part of Afghanistan. So there's the military component. There's also the social component. You know, the Americans meaning well, said we're going to start educating young girls. Remember, under, of course, the Taliban, women were not allowed to leave the home unescorted. They had to have a male companion. Girls were not to be educated, right? And so women wouldn't have had careers. So the Americans thought, oh, well, look, we'll, do, we'll do well here. We, we'll start to educate the girls. But that's the problem which the Soviets had got into in 1979 when they invaded because they figured, well, we will bring social reforms. We'll start educating young girls, etc. And then you get the, these old men in Afghanistan who say we don't approve of this. So so the Americans then ran into a bit of a problem. They then also ran into a problem because they tried to eradicate the poppy. Now, remember, poppy grows very well in Afghanistan. It's, it's suited to those mountainous conditions. Now, the Americans had financed the Taliban to stop the growing of poppy. But then with the chaos of the war, we went back to growing poppy and, uh, poppy and the Taliban were saying, yes, well, we'll be happy to allow it to be grown in our area because we will keep the proceeds. So the people will be employed again and we will make some of the money on the side. That'll help finance the war effort. The Americans and others were seen as people trying to remove the livelihood mm. of the people who were growing poppy. Um, and so 
at the end of the day, you're saying, well, what exactly are the Americans trying to do? Are they going to try to reinvent a whole new country with Western morality? Works in Kabul, you know, clearly people in Kabul want Western music, Western clothes, Western consumer goods, but not when you're out in the rural hinterland. It's the same sort of rule when you apply it to Iran, because everyone thinks that Iran's very progressive, but it's just the big cities in Iran. If you go out to the country where the masses, where actually a lot of people, I think the majority of yeah. people really live, they're old school. Old school, exactly. They do not approve of these Western values that we are imposing on these people. And so in the same way, the Russians, after 10 years of occupation, were just driven out, then the Americans now have got that same problem. And let me just say the British were driven out as well. Um, the British had two attempts uh, or three attempts to get into Afghanistan to quell the rebels on what was then the, the northern part of British India. Um, and on one occasion, the young Winston Churchill was in one of those raiding operations, and he said that um, trying to capture an Afghani is like jumping into a river and catching a fish with your bare hands. This is Global Truth with Dr Keith Suter. We've been talking non-stop. We did forget to take a break. So. <laughs> Had to get one in there somewhere. Uh, it's just fascinating because we're talking about Afghanistan today. It's been a basket case for probably generations, really. Yeah. I mean, everyone can't really remember the first any time that Afghanistan's ever had it together. Oh, we have, oh yeah. No, no. In fairness to the Afghanis, um, the older audience, uh, baby boomers, will have remembered driving through Afghanistan uh, at the time when we had the king. So back in the 60s and 70s, uh, baby boomers, uh, youngsters in those days, driving their combi vans, would have driven there on their way to Europe. My mum. Your mum, right? No doubt smoking some of the local product <laughs> as well. I won't go any further into that. But but the Afghanis were very welcoming because they, these are hospitable people. And remember, people like your mother were just passing through on their way to Europe or whatever. Um, the problem comes when you try to occupy the country. Everybody since Alexander the Great have tried to occupy the country. So if the Afghanis um, do not like being occupied, and the British found that out the hard way, and then the Russians thought, oh, look, we will do better than the British because we've got all these modern things like tanks and helicopters. I was recently uh, talking to someone who had been talking to a Russian general who had been deployed in Afghanistan in that period, 79 to 89, and they had uh, reinforced helicopters so they could then fly around chasing them, which meant that if you were on the ground and you fired up at the, at the helicopter, the helicopter, the bullet would just bounce off the side. So what you used to do is to get onto the, uh, into the mountain ranges so you'd watch the helicopters come in and you would shoot at the pilot through the windscreen. Right. And then, of course, the Americans had also provided these surface-to-air missiles, which you carry on your shoulder and you fire it like a bazooka. After, by the way, after 1989, the CIA had to go back into Afghanistan in order to buy these surplus weapons. So, because um, they were just so wide, they're shooting you know, commercial airliners. <laughs> So th this was a little CIA operation which had gone south. But remember, the Americans left the country in the lurch. After the Soviets left, the Americans said, we've got no reason to stay, so we'll go as well. That's why the country fell into chaos, and that's how the Taliban eventually emerged, bringing order into that chaos. So then, how do we end? What's going to happen next? Is there an end in sight for, A, occupation of Afghanistan and the splintering of the country, the ISIS influences, the... 
um, the Taliban influences Al Qaeda, or is this this is just what is going to be for the for bit? It's going to be future? for the foreseeable future. The problem for the Americans, and we saw this in Vietnam, and it's a business term called sunk costs. In other words, you spent money on a project and you cannot afford to say we've made a mistake with that project. So you stay in Vietnam, you're in Vietnam because some American soldiers have been killed in Vietnam. And so you just continue the fight and you pass the problem along to the next president. The same in Afghanistan. Now, ultimately, the Americans would like to get a Vietnam type peace deal, which was what Henry Kissinger negotiated. Namely, you leave the country, there's a decent interval and then then let the Taliban take over. But at the moment, President Trump cannot afford to leave Afghanistan and be blamed for losing the war in Afghanistan, particularly as the Americans have just agreed to a record defence budget. A lot of their people would say, why are we spending so much money on military equipment and we can't fight wars? Why can't win the wars? Mm, Well, let's just hope they don't go into Iran next because that would be an expensive (laughs) one as well. Absolutely. Global Truths was presented by Dr Keith Souter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Live Proud, audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.